Hey everyone, this is Drew Cushman with Eric Scheniger. There you go, buddy. It's got theme music. Eric loves wow, it. I feel special with theme music. Hey, buddy. It's good to see you. Uh, and everyone, I don't know if you know Eric Scheniger. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. I've known Eric probably my entire Twitter life. Is that fair to say? Yes, we met on social media <laughs> and it the seeds were planted for a dynamic relationship and here we are Uh, oh my goodness 14 15 years later yeah you know you know it's funny i don't so like i remember when i first got on twitter uh it was interesting because there's a ton of educators on twitter but there wasn't principles i remember you uh and Chris Lehman and Patrick Larkin. And that was about it. And it was at the time, Twitter was a really great place to say how much your principles sucked because principles were on Twitter. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, it it was. That's kind of where I saw the opportunity. I'm like, hey, you know what? There's no one in this space. I don't know what it is, but let me go out there and kind of share some stuff. But yeah, you're 100% right. And those names are two of the the first people that I followed, Chris and Patrick. Yeah, totally. It's a crazy, crazy world. So I've known Eric for a long time. If you don't know him, he's on a ton of different jobs uh, in education. And I know right now, uh, doing a lot of consulting with districts all over North America, you've spoken all over the world. And yeah, you're someone I, I've been reading your blog forever. So it is uh, really cool to connect with you. And you actually, if you look in the description down below, you'll see a list of Eric's like billion books that he's written. So he's got a ton of books out there. I think that that's too gracious. I I think that the actual number is seven, but I'll take, I'll take a billion. Seven's good. Seven's all, you're almost hitting double digits. We got three more. You have a, you know, and you have decades worth of work. So, Hey, so Eric, thanks so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, we want to hear about some of your inspiration, the people that inspired you. So I know you've worked with really great teachers uh, in your role, in your many different roles. I know you've consulted and, and worked with teachers. And so you see really great educators all over the world. So when you think of a really great teacher, who is someone you think of and why? Yeah. And I think that's a great question, George, because in my most recent keynote, I highlight four. Okay. I highlight Mrs. McDonald, my pre-K teacher, Mrs. Williams, my kindergarten teacher, Mr. South, who I had for seventh and eighth grade science, and Mr. Wynn, my art teacher that I had for nine years. Really? I, I, went, I went through I went to a kindergarten through eighth eighth grade school. So I had oh. Mr. Wynn for nine years. So, you know, I always typically talk about Mr. South's impact. You know, Mr. South is the reason that I became a science teacher. You know, in the late 80s, he asked us, how will you colonize Mars? We're like, okay, well, we, we couldn't ask Siri uh, or GBT. <laughs> we had to use uh, an archaic device called the encyclopedia. But what he did was he, he put us in groups and he used the cooperative learning jigsaw method where each group was a piece to the puzzle. Each group had to develop an innovative idea on how we would colonize Mars. But through that idea, we had to create working prototypes that in conjunction with other students' prototypes would help us colonize Mars. My friend and I researched something called the mass driver. Think of it like a giant space cannon Hmm. that would propel resources from the surface of Mars, I'm sorry, the surface of the moon to Mars and be Hmm. caught by another device. We actually, through our research, built a working prototype that shot toothpicks. Then... 
on the weekends, he had to sign permission slips and go to his creepy garage in the middle of nowhere, which you cannot do these days. And we built larger prototypes. And this one actually oh. shot tennis balls. He then had us write a research paper explaining how our prototype was going to help the group colonize Mars. Through that research paper, he had a five-point rubric to provide sound assessment. But then the best part, he had his paper mache the classroom, made it look like the surface of Mars, and yeah. we brought our parents in and showed them what we actually learned. What I just described is, you know, when we talk about people look at these things as being all these brand new ideas, they're not. I just highlighted sound assessment, great pedagogy, purposeful use of technology, hmm. personalization through choice. But, you know, I became a science teacher because of Mr. South, but the person I am today is because of Mr. Wynn. Hmm. And Mr. Wynn is my art teacher. You'd want to talk about someone who was always positive. You know, he didn't really believe in grades. Um, I found recent artwork in my attic that my parents brought. And I always thought I was a bad artist. But when I looked at the grades, everything was an S+. Plus. And some of my designs should never have gotten an S+. Plus. But hmm. what did he do? He challenged us through different mediums. He provided timely, actionable, specific feedback. He cared. And, you know, I can honestly say that I am the man I am today because of Mr. Wynn. And, you know, I reached out to him recently on Facebook and wrote an essay just thanking him, thanking mm. him for everything he did for me and countless other students. So those are the two teachers that, and so many more, George, it's right. so hard to highlight just one, but I, I look at those two and I can really pinpoint those now as an adult, how what they did without them in my life, I don't know if I'd be where I am today. All right, let's give them a shout out. I love it. You know, you with all the sound effects. I got all the sounds, man. I got all this is all people listen. They don't care about what I think. <laughs> you want to hear the air horn. So I when you're when you're talking about that, what I loved about the description of the assignment, it's it was so student-led, right? It's not like he was doing all this stuff for you. It was you kind of figuring out that process. And I think that to me. There's a lot of times in education where it's kind of like the teacher on the desk and like decorating the room and doing all this stuff. And it's really, Hey, that's, you know, but that's not going to be, that's not going to happen after the fact, right? It, it is really kind of like helping students find that ownership over the learning. Uh, one of the things that you said that really kind of resonated with me, because it was, it reminded me of a project we did in school and it felt so real and just powerful. And it always stuck with me. There is a simulation we did in, um, his name was Doug Still. He was our, my, my social studies teacher. And basically you were, you were like, you had different countries in the room. They're all kind of fictitious, but all based on real countries. And you would kind of have conversations about what was going on in your country and stuff like that. And every single day you would actually um, make decisions, but those decisions would affect other countries um, in what you actually did, like how, how you go. And it, it would last until, until it was done or you went to war mm. and no class. It was really interesting. No class ever made it past 10 days without going up, going out to world war. And it was just like a really interesting process. I think we made it to five 
and we went to world war. Like that was the process. Cause every day it was like, Hey, these decisions were made. Here's what's actually happening. And this place is being attacked and it's overtaken by this place. And it was like a really interesting process. I'll, I'll like, I'll never forget that. How like, I couldn't, I couldn't like, that's the only thing I could think about for that whole time we were doing that process. It was like so interesting to me. Well, I, and I think the the synergy between both of our experiences and our mm. stories is the novelty, the novelty yeah. with purpose. Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't just a, a smoke and mirror. There was actual uh, alignment with mm. what that learning outcome our teachers wanted us to have. But when you really look at how we make learning stick, yeah. you know, not overloading students with information collaboration hmm. tap into feelings emotions you know active application um you know those things are so critical that you know and i think we can learn a lot of lessons from the past that can inform yep. and help our practice in the present and the future love it i love it all right so i i know tons of people it's weird because i think uh both you and i are still known for being a principal, right? I know a lot of people still think of you um, as a principal in New Milford. I remember that. That's something I always like kind of connect with you no matter the work that you're doing. So I know um, people really appreciate all the stuff you did in school ad administration and all the stuff that you're doing to help other people. And so I know you've seen and worked with really great administrators, maybe had them as a kid. So when I asked you like, who's like a really great administrator that you've had, who's someone you think of and why? I'd have to say John Pappas and Greek guy. He's got to be Greek. That's a, that's that, a super Greek name. I think he's Italian. No, I mean, that's a Greek name. Pappas is a Greek name. You know, just whatever. Wait, just hold on. <laughs> you know, when you, play, when, when you play that horn, it does bring back a memory that we're both connected with, by the way, George. What's it that? Was, it was your first tailgating experience. <laughs> I do remember that. You, tailgate hear those horns uh, uh john this you know uh, he was he became principal when i was a junior and i remember his senior year you know he always would walk around with a yellow notebook why because he was always trying to get insights from hmm. students about the culture of the building and i i never saw him without that yellow notebook hmm. and, and i think the thing that i i really respected about him was how he genuinely made the time to, you know, we hear a lot about student voice. Well, here's a person that really didn't just talk about it. He mm. really followed up on it. And everyone knew that when they saw him writing things down, that some way or another, he was going to try to take that feedback to improve the culture. Mm. And, you know, not just him as a principal, we became such great friends you know, we would play racquetball for years together, well after my graduation. And then we would go to his house every Thanksgiving morning, one of the longest running high school football rivalries in America uh, happens between Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and Easton, Pennsylvania, two bitter rivals. Hmm. We go there and it wouldn't be just me, my father, all of these current retired administrators. And the one thing I, I respected was the bond that John had with, uh, I mean, he was so beloved, George, mm -hmm. not just by students, not just by faculty, but by his peers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we want to be respected by our peers. We, we do. I mean, that, that is the, I mean, the ultimate sign that, you know, your, your work is making a difference. 
And I think that's the one thing I, I took from him was, you know, making the time, you know, listening to others, leading by example, but more, more importantly, you know, modeling the way. Mm-hmm. And when you model the way, you organically build that respect, that sense of community. And that's something that, you know, when, even when I became a principal, he, he was on my speed dial. You know, I was always reaching out to him, trying to get that feedback and, and advice because I really, truly respected uh, his opinion and insight. John Pappas. So, you know, just so you know, John, I know this is a Greek guy, by the way. I know this is like secondary to everything you just said. John is actually uh, the English version of Giannis. So that's actually, there you go, Giannis Pappas. I think you're right. I think he is Greek. I am. I'm 100% right. There's yeah, no I, think, I, think, I think you are. I think you are. Well, and you know, okay, so one of the things that you said, and I, it, it's so important, and I think it's often overlooked. I, it drives me crazy when people say like, oh, we listen to student voice. I'm like, okay, you listen to it. Do you actually do anything with it? So you just taking in input from your community is, is only half of it. And I don't even know if I'd even say it's half of it. It's actually acting upon it or choosing not acting to not act upon it and, and sharing why you didn't act upon it and actually having that conversation. Because I think, you know, I've seen where they have like student leadership conferences, they get all these surveys from students and from the community. And it's kind of like, let's pat ourselves on the back that we listen, but you have to do something with it. I think that's a really important aspect of that. Yeah. It's interesting. You say, say that because when I, when I look at the unintended influence of, of John, you know, I would meet with my student government as a principal, yeah. you know, I'd meet with the elected members once a month and we'd sit there and their challenge was how can we improve the culture of yeah. New Milford High School? Everything from, you know, academics, extracurriculars, athletics. And then what I would do is I would share the minutes after every meeting and I would follow up and say, here's what I have done, but I also put it on them and say, what will you do to overcome some of the challenges and hurdles? Now I can listen to you, but doesn't mean I can act on everything that you say if you don't do your part. But the one thing you said is voice has to be a dialogue, not a monologue. You don't just take the inputs. You really have those vibrant conversations, but in the end, you kind of look at where is that common ground? Because some things are, you know, not just not realistic when we think about what not just students want, but what adults want as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's that's uh, the 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 terminology that I connect with what you just said is uh, from Covey. It's called the cadence of accountability, and we really focus on that. And I think a lot of people in education, you know, you're talking about the adults hate meetings, and the reason is like we'll have meetings about meetings that we're going to have in the future. And it's like, kind of, we just kind of talk about stuff, but don't actually do anything about it. And that cadence of accountability is like, Hey, here's what we actually talked about last meeting. Here's a follow-up. Here's the things that we've done. And then you get into this, to the new stuff. And then as you end, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then you follow up on that last meeting. So you feel that that time is valued. It's not just there to kind of, you know, just take time from people, but to actually, Hey, this is meaningful time. We're going to act on what's been done here. So I, I I love that. And I think that's a really powerful sentiment. All right. Last question. I know um, both you and I have been, and I think we're like the last ones have been blocking forever. Right? Yeah, we, we are the last. We, we are kind of the last. We're, we're dinosaurs. In I like blogging. I love, I love blogging. And I, I think it's, I know you kind of feel the same way. I, I would say it's, it's one of the best 
it, no, it is the best learning network I've ever had because it keeps me accountable to my own thinking and it makes me continuously grow and learn. So I know that you don't just do it to, I don't think either of us do it because we would have quit a long time ago because people don't read blogs as much as they used to. No, nope. do say it. that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I know we both do it to kind of share our own learning and to progress and really kind of, I don't know, like I, I don't talk about stuff until I blog about it. Like that's something that's really important to me. So I know you're a continuous learner. I think that's a really admirable thing. So if you can go back to your first year of teaching and, you know, talk to, you know, young Eric Scheniger, then what's some advice that you'd give to yourself? My advice is to not be so stubborn and be more empathetic. And I don't say that lightly. You know, I, I think about some of the decisions I made, you know, I believe for the most part, I, you know, I, I still have student ex-students from my teaching days reach out to me and tell me what a positive influence that I had on their lives, even to this point. But I know that was not the case for every student. Mm -hmm. I still remember how I was so rigid in terms of a final project in marine biology, um, which was an elective that many juniors and seniors took. Um, the assumption was that when I, before I took over, it was an easy, easy A. I changed all that. You know, I mean, I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. So George Costanza. George Costanza. Yes. And, you know, and to this day, when my parents let me get my degree in marine biology, I'm like, why, why? And I actually became, and I taught marine biology. But I remember this instance where the student's project uh, was late and I, I would not bend. And I remember he got so mad at me, he threw a shoe at me. And, you know, I he missed, it. but he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Right. So I think my younger self would be, hey, listen, it's a project. Yes, you want to have certain standards, but you got to be more empathetic and, and really ask the right questions, determine, well, why did the student not turn it in on time? Uh, what other steps could you have done to put that student on the right path? And, and I think having an empathetic lens would have helped help me deal with that situation and some other ones a, a lot more effectively. You might you must have made him really mad because there's a whole thought process into like reaching down, <laughs> taking off your shoe, yeah, pulling it up. Throw it at you. It was one of those moments that you could never be prepared for. When <laughs> a Nike Air Jordan is rocketing through the air, and all the students are in disbelief. And then after he threw it, he just right. left. And I'm already going right. to go to the office because I know. And what I can say is that I did not meet the needs of that learner, and it was because right. of my stubbornness. Well, you know, I, so when you're talking about this, you reminded me of something. I don't know if you want me to bring it up, but you were on a reality TV show, right? And, yes. and I actually think the principle, from what I remember, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you know, a lot of the stuff you did in that reality TV show, you actually did a 180. I don't know if I'd say 180, but you thought very differently yeah. as you progressed as a principal, is that fair to say? Do you remember? Oh, well, that is, that is, and that is how I, when I talk about mindset shifts, yeah. Um, you know, I'll kind of talk what was about the show. What was the show called? Just uh, the, the, wants the, to watch the, it. The principal's office. 
And what I tell people is a few things. One, you cannot hide from your digital footprint. Yeah. Still there. And number two, you know, it gives us an opportunity to reflect. Now, I am the poster child for a fixed mindset yeah. because that's where I was doing. And I tell people, um, you're gonna, you'll see me doing the exact opposite. Totally. Um, I eventually did as a principal and what I do now. So, you know, and it's a great teachable moment. So as a principal, you know, I always say, you know, we often teach the way we were taught. We lead the way we were led. We are influenced by our experiences. And that's where I was. I thought I was doing the right thing Um, until a student told me school was like a jail when I took his device away after chasing him through my building. Right. So I think all those moments, you know. Was that actually on the show? Um, we had some cell phone bits, but that one, I remember it. I remember that specifically because that, 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 that that actual happened when the show had already been filmed and was done when I, the student was like a jail, but there were times where I was reprimanding students and parents for bringing in devices for you're (laughs) reprimanding them for doing something that you would later encourage. Oh, and the irony is we were the first high school in New Jersey to go bring your own device. (laughs) 14 years ago. Well, that that's so, and that's what I appreciate about you is that you, you can see that, you know, like you talk about your stubbornness and you can, but you can also see your progression over time. Like I actually, there's a blog post I wrote years ago that I've actually pulled out and said, I actually agree with a lot of things I'm saying right now in this blog post, but the way I said it was so wrong. And it was just like probably pushing people away that I wanted to pull closer and getting people to cheer for me who already agreed, which was kind of useless. So I, you know, I think that's one of the things that is really powerful is that over the years, there is different elements, little different media that you and I have combined that can show our growth over time, which is, you know, it's not just us learning, but it's modeling that process. Yeah. And I think it's how do we strive to become the best iteration of ourselves Hmm. to serve those who are looking to grow and I think that's what we want to do in our classrooms. You know, I always tell everybody there's no perfect teacher, no perfect educator, no perfect administrator, no perfect school, no perfect system. Perfection in education is a yeah. fallacy. And what we can do is we can chase growth, not perfection, mm-hmm. but that relies on us being reflective and honest yeah. and vulnerable. If you're not honest and vulnerable, it's very, very difficult to change. Yeah, and 10 years from now, there's probably things we'll say in this podcast today that we'll disagree with, right? So I think that's absolutely, nice. absolutely. Then that that's a that's a really like you know, your maybe music, it'll be a like entry show. entry music for me, which I did not have any choice in. Uh, <laughs> that will be something that I will be lamenting. When it's your podcast, you can have whatever entry. Music <laughs> yeah, well, touche, touche. <laughs> All right, hey Eric, thanks for being on. And since you mentioned it, here's the outro. <laughs> My guy, 